no one really knows where the work is going to take them. Making work in the first place is such a vulnerable thing. Putting it out there. You're already like in the unknown. It's part of the work. It's part of your career and it's like there is no avoiding it. So if you let that paralyze you, then you're not going to get anywhere. Hi, good morning, everybody, and happy 2020. This is Ioana Friedman, your host, and you're listening to Blissfully Aware, your podcast that's all about the story behind our why, why we build our businesses, why we get into the creative fields and all that good stuff. Today, I sit and chat with Maria Baez, who's a good friend and a principal photographer at Jet.com. Maria and I got to know each other at Estee Lauder Companies. She helped me set up a great media studio, and she's just an awesome content creator and thought partner. And I wanted to bring her on because she's five years into her career as a commercial photographer. And we so often sit and talk with people who are so much further along in their careers. They've built businesses and are taking them to a next level. And I wanted a new perspective. I wanted to see the business through the eyes of somebody who also is seeing it anew and developing their own voice and charting a new path. So you're about to hear a really open story about bringing in family history of immigration and learning a new language and fitting into a new community and converting it into empowerment and really bring that tenacity and an incredible work ethic into the present day. So the way in which Maria shows up on set and as a thought partner in a brand really is a testament to her family history. It's really incredible. Take a listen. Maria, welcome. I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you. Hi. (laughs) Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. (laughs) Talk to me. Let's ground the folks who are listening to this and meeting you for the first time. I graduated four years ago, so I've been navigating this new work experience, trying to like find my footing into the commercial world. Where did you study? I went to Montclair State University in Jersey. Actually, my professor is retiring, so we're having an art show for him. That's so nice. Yeah. So I guess how I started my career was through him. He introduced me to one of the managers at Macy's, the studio director, actually. He taught him as well. So it was pretty great to see those two generations come together through one person. So I started in the studio, just assisting photographers. And then after two years, I decided to expand on that and go on to this role of content creator. But now I'm looking to go back to more of the studio environment. I found out that that was just where I flourished the best. Let's dig a little bit deeper. A door had opened for you, right, through this professor to take a role in a commercial photo studio for a huge corporation. Yeah. Can we slow down and take our listeners through what that journey was like for you? Yeah. I never thought about doing commercial work for a living. I didn't think that was where my career was going to go, to be honest. I didn't really have a plan of what I wanted to do after college. But after visiting the studio, I was like, this is 
pretty cool. Like, I, I could see myself doing this. On my own, I never did still life. I did mostly portraits, and I still do portraits on my own time. But then when we went to the studio at Macy's, I was like, okay, this is something I could see myself doing. How come? I don't know. I, I just thought this would be a good place to go to work every day. I would feel happy to go into a studio and have the freedom to play around with lighting and not really have to depend on a model or depend on landscapes or depend on any other subject. Just myself and just go into the space to be able to make anything. It's kind of like painting. I love that analogy. Yeah. You have to play around with lighting, just experiment. You really don't have a time limit with a person. Uh, you don't have to depend on another person's emotions or the environment. It's just yourself. It's more solitary. Yeah. You mentioned that in your own time, you were photographing people. Yeah. Was going into a still life studio a big revelation then? Yes. It was like... I actually didn't know anything about photography. Had your time spent in school up until that point prepped you somewhat for a still life career? No, it was all film. I learned on film and I really didn't use lighting. Definitely not studio lighting. I would use lighting in my portraits sometimes, but kind of use the environment I was working with. Nothing really set up. So going into a studio where you have to know how to set up lights or what works best. Anything from like the parts of the stand, <laughs> I didn't know. That was my first day. I remember the photographer was like, okay, give me an extra arm and put a knuckle on it. And I was like, I'm sorry, what does that mean? <laughs> like, I was so confused. I was like, I don't even know what this means. So something as simple as a stand. I had no idea what it was at that point, you know, or, or the terminology. So when I came to actually photographing, everything was new to me. When and how did you transition from assisting into shooting on your own? It came with time, experience and trying things on my own. And I would just test on any free time I had. I would work on lighting where I got more comfortable with working on my own without anyone supervising me or, or being unsure of how I should do things. And then eventually got to the point where I was just doing my own thing and I got more responsibility and expanded to more editorial shots. Your learning curve must have been huge at that stage. Yeah, that was the funnest part. Everything seemed so new to me and I was like so excited by it you know? And I was just so curious about everything. I mean, I still am. I still have a lot to learn. Obviously, it's only been four years. But I do feel like when I started, it was just like this whole new world. Would you say that the unknown was exciting to you? Yeah, I think the unknown is always exciting. As an artist, when things are just the same all the time, or you feel like you're not being challenged by your work, I think there's a problem. And I think that's when you get stuck. Or maybe that's when you feel like you have no inspiration or you have no drive, you know? So I think that unknown or that uncertainty always drives you to make better work or more work or try things differently. 
that was always exciting for me. Can you paint the picture a little bit of maybe some projects that you've invented for yourself in order to create this unknown? If you look at commercial photographers, they still have their own style, even though they're commissioned by a bunch of different brands to adopt their style into their photographs. So maybe one of the biggest challenges for me has been trying to figure out what my style is. Even though I'm working for these big corporations, how can I bring my point of view to my work, but still have it fulfilled the job? How do I make this connect? to myself and I think that's a big unknown to address every time you're going into a shoot I don't think I have a very distinct look yet but I can see it shaping that's exciting (laughs) yeah so let's describe that we're listening to a podcast it's not a visual medium but if you were to describe what your voice is developing as how would you do it Well, my still life photography, it's very graphic. Like, I don't want to add too many things. I like the simplicity, right? Sharp lighting. And if we were to infuse you, Maria Baez, as a human into that, how is that an expression of you as a person? Yeah, I feel like I'm a pretty simple person. (laughs) Like, I don't really like to complicate things too much. So when it comes to shooting, I take the same approach, but do subtle things to make it pop. So I feel like I'm very subtle in everything I do. And also quite direct. Yeah. And I haven't fine-tuned my work to be like, okay, this is my signature. This is my look. I'm heading in that direction. It's exciting. It is. It takes photographers a while, especially commercial photographers. Because like I said, you have to fulfill the job first. And there's also other creative people putting input into your work. What are your thoughts on creative directors hiring photographers specifically for their unique point of view? Does that give you confidence in developing your signature approach? You know, as a, as a freelancer, yeah, you wouldn't get that job if your photography doesn't fit with that company. But there's plenty of other companies that might think you're perfect for them. So even if you don't get that one job, you still have others to pick from. As an in-house photographer, it's more like, okay, we're going to switch our look for next year or we're going to switch the brand. And now you kind of have to evolve and constantly change. So I think that's where it gets tricky. And you've just experienced a rebrand. Did you notice that your method of shooting changed from the time you joined your last role to the moment that you left? Yeah, how I was setting up my lighting completely changed. So when I first started, you were still on the brand. (laughs) And I remember we were doing these very simple, crisp shots with harsh shadows and, you know, straightforward. No moody lighting. And towards the end, I found myself doing more and more moody. Even though there was still no like footing on what exactly the brand was going to look like. So it's still this transitional place. But what I saw that worked the most or got more reaction was my moodier lighting. So, So it completely changed. So even though I don't have my signature look and I am still trying to find that, it is nice to change and to be able to photograph anything to be versatile. This is, I think, the time in your career to be 
yeah incredibly open like a sponge yeah knowing that you don't know anything is the biggest help to yourself and to your art because you're not so set in your ways or don't want to open up the door to a new perspective on things Ah, let's dig deeper into this. There's some people who are paralyzed by the unknown because it can feel really daunting. It sounds like you're not. What internal mechanism do you have that gets you there? I don't know. (laughs) I think I kind of have this idea that no one really knows where the work is going to take them. Making work in the first place is such a vulnerable thing. Putting it out there. You're already like in the unknown. It's part of the work. It's part of your career and it's like there is no avoiding it. So if you let that paralyze you, then you're not going to get anywhere. I mean, you kind of have to accept it, make peace with it and be like, okay, this is scary, but I'm still going to do it and we'll see what happens. I mean, what do you have to lose? When did you learn this lesson? I knew from very young that I wanted to be an artist. But when I came to college, then it was like, okay, this is real. How are you going to make a living? How are you going to get into the art world? You know, my parents have always been supportive, but my siblings were kind of more realistic, saying, how are you going to make a living? Is this really going to work out? You know, so I felt that way when I first started college. And then I was like, you know what? This doesn't make me happy. I'm just going to do what I like to do. Regardless of the unknown, I accepted that maybe things weren't going to work out. But if you want it enough, if you work towards it enough, then I think you'll be in a good place. I think that's right. Obviously, it's always scary. Like, I don't know where I'll be in five years. But for now, this is what makes me happy. So I'm just going to continue building upon that. And then hopefully eventually, (laughs) it'll be clearer to me. My sense of style in my work. When you shoot, what feels good? Probably setting up the lighting and just having control over that and experimenting and just seeing how it looks on camera. That's always been the part that feels the most right. I would say that's a wonderful start. That's a philosophy I've come to is start where it feels good because when things feel good, you can flourish from there. Yeah. I also feel like I approach it as a challenge. So if I don't know how to do something, I really want to try to understand it and nail it down. And I feel so accomplished by that. I remember when we first met. Yeah. And what was going to be the lab series photo studio. I think I asked you if you would be able to help us cut video. And your answer was perfect, which was... You know, there's Google. (laughs) Whatever I don't know, I will find out. Yeah, which is so true, which is what I've done for most of my (laughs) career, I think. (laughs) So your parents are small business owners. What lessons about building something out of nothing did you pick up from them? Oh my God, everything. My parents came to the U.S. from Mexico when I was two. And my dad got sick within the first year that we moved here. So my mom, who never worked ever, her only job was being a housewife, raising kids, cooking, cleaning. She had to get a job. And she was like, how am I going to do this? I don't know the language. I don't know anyone. And I've never even worked. So just seeing her like go from 
being in a new country to being where she is now, where she owned a business, inspired me in a way. Trying things out, being open to like, okay, I can do this. What was she like during this time? I've never seen my mom complain ever. She always had or always has a positive outlook. So even if things aren't going great with the business, she'll be like, well, we got to keep moving. Like there's really nothing to do about it. You, you just have to keep pushing until you get what you want or until you figure it out. That was the biggest lesson. Seeing what you can do, not dismissing your potential by not giving it a shot. Isn't it so funny how we get in our own way? Yeah. How many times can you think of that you've witnessed somebody say, no, I can't do this before Mm -hmm. anybody else told them? Not that we need validation from the outside. It's more like we preempt the no. Like, let me shut this down before I have a chance to screw up. Yeah, all the time. It's so common and you never want to be put in that place where you're like, I failed at something because it, it doesn't feel good. But that's how you learn. So what is your philosophy on failure? What do you think its ideal role Mm -hmm. is within a professional photo studio or a corporation of any size? Mm -hmm. It's learning and growing. It's part of the process. And we've seen many examples from Apple, Steve Jobs, you know, like any success story has there. Yeah, I, I failed a lot of times or I didn't get at the first try. I mean, it's never like that. So putting so much pressure on employees to like get it right the first time is so unrealistic. You had mentioned that you want to see yourself through your work, even though the work might pay off a project for a brand. Mm-hmm. So it's not a personal project. What I picture is if Maria Baez can walk on a set and bring her mom's work and tenacity onto that set, because that's such a precious lesson that you learned at such a young age. I mean, that's gold, right? Mm -hmm. And when I look at you, I think that made you, right? In so many ways. Mm -hmm. I mean, you learned tenacity, you learned optimism, yeah. I mean, look at that optimism. Yeah. She didn't know the language. She mm-hmm. hadn't worked outside of running a household. She was in a new country, a new environment. Yeah. And created a whole new life. This is like your pedigree and this is your history, your roots that you're bringing forward mm-hmm. into everything that you do. Yeah. Yeah. I try to maintain that positive outlook. If I don't stay positive, like it already got to me. It's definitely an important part of how I grew up, especially when it comes to careers. My parents were always supportive of any career path I chose, but you know, that was always in the back of my mind as being an artist, really what they worked for, but you can make a career out of it. Not only you can, you are. Let's talk a little more about that. Where are you going to next? I'm going to jet.com. And they recently got acquired by Walmart. So I'll be doing photography for both of the websites. We're starting up the studios in New Jersey, which is where I live, which I love. Brand new team, brand new everything. So it's this new opportunity to start fresh and just bring a whole new look to the websites. Is that the assignment? Yeah. Aside from fulfilling, you know, your day-to-day 
silo shots, which is necessary for every brand on any online platform. It's kind of like improving their look, of course, and making these websites more of a e-commerce, a platform for fashion, which I don't know about you, but I've never gone to walmart.com to shop for fashion. <laughs> so, and I feel like because we also live in this area, it's kind of like a little bubble where no one really goes to Walmart or but it's such a big thing. Like that's most of America if you think about it. And I have to say I'm pretty grateful that like these past 4 years I've actually had something to show. This is what I do and here are my photos to prove it or here's something that I've gained from it. A lot of people work these jobs and they don't really have anything to take. You mean that's tangible? Yeah. Is the physical aspect of photography something that attracted you to it? Not only do I get to pay my bills with this, but I also get to have this work that I made. And regardless of where I work, it'll still be my work. That's amazing. That is very cool. I bet there are so many designers and artists who can relate to that. A body of work, years and years and years of work that are touchable mm. is pretty magical. Yeah, I mean, it's you creating something out of nothing. Another friend, Danielle Kimmel, just came on the podcast, and she's a wellness specialist. And the reason I brought her on is because wellness is such an integral part of maintaining our strength in order yeah. to be vulnerable, in order to create an impact through our work. Yeah. So I'm just starting to think about that more and more, how integrated things are, and it's probably so obvious yeah. to many. It wasn't so obvious to me. So my question to you is kind of an extension of that, which is you're going to run a photo studio for a massive e-commerce mm -hmm. company. You produce your own work. How do you find the time to keep yourself healthy and energized? Yeah, I make that time for myself, regardless of anyone else. I set this time apart to take care of myself, whether it be mental, going for a run, eating healthy, just setting that time. When I do that and I'm doing work that I love on my own, I'll go into work and I'll be like ready to go and just super prepared. My mental health is so important. If I'm feeling anxious, upset, it definitely reflects on my everyday interaction. You're historically so good at keeping calm. <laughs> what internal... On the outside. Yes. Holy shit, there's a storm on the inside. Yeah. <laughs> okay, amazing. But that's actually even more incredible. What internal mechanism is kicking in for you? Maybe it's so intuitive and you're so freaking good at it, you don't even notice. I think it's going back to that powering through. Regardless of any situation, you kind of have to just get through it. Okay, this is what it is. I don't feel great today, but it's got to get done. And then go home and figure it out why I'm not feeling well and make sure I'm good to start over again or to reset. <laughs> That's incredible perspective. That shows an ability to see beyond what's in front of you and obvious. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure there's a better way to deal with it. Maybe there are tips like wellness tips. Listen, there's always going to be somebody with yeah. 10 tips to a perfect life. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, we each have our own method. That's totally cool. Do you do this in your personal life too? Yeah. 
And it could also be because I am single and I am 24. Well, I have a boyfriend, but like, you know, I don't have children or a husband. And I know my family will always be there. Easy going, Maria. What strikes a nerve with you? (laughs) Look, just thinking of it makes you go, ugh. Okay. I guess in terms of my boyfriend and I, I hate that he does things last minute. So time management is a big thing for you. Like if we were going on vacation and you need to do laundry and pack, he does that at the last minute and it's just like... For the record, Matt is a wonderful human. I know. We're not dogging on Matt. No, no, no. Definitely not. (laughs) Yeah, we all need some contrast, but there's certain things that are non-negotiable. Yeah. Like I could never live with somebody who's just has stuff everywhere. My anxiety would just skyrocket. I would not be yeah. as kind as I could be. And I couldn't deal with someone planning things last minute. Well, I can tell because from working with you, we worked together for a year. You're a very good planner. You always did your research. Mm-hmm. You did a lot of tests. And this makes sense. You're able to go with the flow and be okay when things go to pot on a shoot because you've planned it well enough that there's a safe space for error. Or planned for a worst case scenario. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I do like having control. Spoken like a true still life photographer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you have to. <laughs> but I would say I'm fine with the unknown because I just think you can always take control of it. Control your emotions towards it. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Or how you react to it. How you approach things. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. You're such a little guru. (laughs) I'm definitely not. I'm really not. (laughs) I feel like such a baby going into big corporations where everyone has years of experience. And I really never thought I would be doing what I do. I I truly do feel lucky to even just do what I wanted to do. A lot of people don't have that luxury. I mean, my parents definitely didn't. (laughs) They didn't, yet they were very optimistic. Yeah. So taking the circumstance out of it, you've been embedded with this uncanny ability to see life through a very positive lens. I think it's a survival instinct. Yeah. You know? And I think you'd be able to apply it to any situation. Yeah. And now that we're talking about it, it makes so much sense to me how my parents grew up. It's another way of life. And I see it myself as well. You know, I mostly work with Americans, there's a big difference with how immigrants approach a situation. What are you noticing as different? The complaining is a big part of American culture, I think. And, you know, it's valid. Like, we should always want better. But I think it's always the not willing to do things just because they won't know the outcome of it. Why do you think that is? There is a lot of poverty in America, of course, but your average family doesn't really worry about, am I going to eat today? And it's kind of a routine. You go to school, you go to work. It's kind of always knowing what's going to happen or knowing that you're going to be safe. You're going to be fed. In other cultures, like Mexican culture, where poverty is much worse, it's like, well, we don't know if we're going to eat today, but understand that that's like a possibility. Which, I mean, I never grew up like that because I grew up in New Jersey. So I had a completely different life than my siblings and my parents. But I can see like where those survival instincts were passed on. 
Yeah. And I don't think suffering always results into strength. No. But you're an embodiment of that. Your family's struggle converted into empowerment through you. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, I definitely see it with my mom. Is there anything I haven't asked you or we haven't touched on that you want to chat about? Your career or what has led you to this point of being such a great mentor? (laughs) No, I really do think you are. Like, (laughs) Oh, man. I'm being serious. You have been the best manager. Mm. (laughs) Design was survival for me. Yeah. I came over as, as a refugee from Romania, which mm-hmm. had been a, well, a dictatorship for the 12 years that I lived there. All my grandparents had been under house arrest or jailed because I come from a family of dissidents. I've lived through a revolution and dodged bullets. Oh my God. So we came over as refugees after the revolution in 1989, and I didn't speak English. I knew how to say I don't speak English, but I had an artistic inclination And I used it to make a new life. I drew, I took pictures, ended up going to art school, and it just sort of built out from there. And I've relied on art and design to save me from what I had come from. Mm -hmm. It became something I trusted. If I was depressed, uncertain, I could go into Mm -hmm. my room and whip out a sketchbook and draw and listen to my music. So it was like a therapy It was like therapy and I would do it until I felt cleansed. I was very introverted. It was really hard for me to connect with people, but I always had a sketchbook with me. Mm -hmm. So if I was in a social situation that I didn't feel right in, I would take it out and start drawing. So it just built out from there. You know, I worked for independent fine art photographers. I've printed black and white. The dark room is like a whole different experience. It is great. I worked with a fantastic human being, Ray Mortensen, and he took a lot of pictures in the Bronx in the 1980s, and we worked on a book together called Broken Glass. But during my time with him, I helped him print in the darkroom, and we'd blast these Indian ragas for hours, and we'd, you know, print in tandem. He'd have, like, two enlargers, and it was so great. So I did that. I worked in publishing, I managed a photo gallery uptown, and somehow I ended up in beauty, and I stayed for eight years, Yeah, um, which I never thought I would do, but I followed people. Mm-hmm. I, along the way, formed really great relationships with a few people, one of them being Leslie Klein, who is an e-commerce specialist, and I met her at Elf Cosmetics, and we became really close. She's an unbelievable human. So she pulled me over to Estee Lauder, and we ended up working together again for a bunch of years. So I really just followed nurturing people that I trusted, irrespective of the industry. That was a secondary thing to me, because I was never a beauty junkie. Maybe I became one, Yeah, you know, because it's hard to resist lip gloss. But talking about roots and how that affects our work, I think it's pretty clear. Like, I never knew this story about you, but now... Knowing this, I can see why you do this, why you find those connections with people, because art is what helped you obtain those connections with people or yourself. So you're digging into that. I'm genuinely interested in how any creative person can take 
their roots, their past, and turn it into something that's beautiful and makes the world more whole. Yeah. People like you and others have proven that it's possible. And how exciting is it to study that? That's my answer. That's my long-winded answer. I like that answer. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's really interesting bringing the human element to art, which I feel like, especially in commercial work, can get lost or just not given importance to. That's really the meat of it. Yeah. Very good. Thank you so much for coming on and speaking with me. It's so good to see you. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Blissfully Aware. Look out for future episodes where we'll continue to share inspiring talks with creative people who are forced for good. Subscribe to Blissfully Aware through your favorite podcast app and check out thedaring.co for in-depth articles. I'm your host, Yuana Friedman. Our theme music is by Ben Tyree. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at info at Until next time.